bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacies. Live in Word with Pastor Mensa Otterville. And now, today's word. Uh, I just felt uh, to teach something that is a little bit theological, uh, which is good because I feel that many times we as Christians, uh, we've come to the point where we always want a word that just blesses us immediately. And the foundations of our Christian faith goes weaker and weaker. Uh, And so I am committed to teaching things that will deepen our faith in Christ, make us understand why we believe what we believe, and grow in the Word of God. So today I'm, I'm teaching on, uh, on uh, the topic, the incarnation. The incarnation. Uh, now, if you listen to uh, the song, the, the, the hymn we sung, How the Herald Angels, uh, is it How, How the Herald Angels Sing, I think. The second verse, there is a phrase there uh, that calls Jesus Christ the incarnate deity. You know, many times when you uh, sing the words of the hymns, there are very serious statements being made there, but maybe we don't catch them and we don't pay attention uh, to them. So you'll find in the verse 2, hail the incarnate deity. Incarnate. And that's what I'm talking about, the incarnate. Incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. Now I know it's not a word you normally use in conversation, but it's a very powerful theological word, incarnation. Let's say it together. Incarnation. And it talks about uh, Jesus becoming flesh for us. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and it says and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit seen by angels Preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Paul is setting out a very fundamental truths of the Christian faith, and he sets it out to Timothy in First Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. I'm just going to focus on the first line of it because that has to do with incarnation. Uh, If you ask, so pastor, what is incarnation? That is what it is. God manifested in the flesh. God manifested in the flesh or God becoming flesh. God becoming man. God manifested in the flesh. The idea that God became a man is a very difficult idea to explain. And that is why the Bible calls it a mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. A mystery is basically something you find difficult to explain. Uh, and, and so the Bible says that one of the mysteries 
of the Christian faith is that God became a man or God manifested in the flesh. And I would later on explain what the word manifested means as I go on with my message. So, what is the incarnation? I'm just going to put up uh, uh, a statement uh, and I will probably uh, explain it a bit. The incarnation, this is what it means. It means that Jesus Christ is the eternal second person of the Trinity who in time took upon himself a complete human nature by being born of the Virgin Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a very long statement, but each word there is very important. You find words like eternal, you'll find words like trinity, you find a word like time, you will find a phrase like complete human nature, you find a phrase like born, and you find Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. These are all very important. But there are two words that I want you to pay attention to a little bit. Uh, and the first one is the word eternal. Jesus Christ, the eternal second person of the Trinity. Everybody say eternal. And then it says, who in time took upon himself uh, a complete human nature. Everybody say time. Now, eternal and time are not the same thing. You know that. When something is eternal, it means it never ends. If something is of time, it ends. There is no end to eternal, but there is an end to time. Jesus is the eternal second person. What means is that he belongs to eternity, but he stepped into time. Eternal is the world of God. It's God's world. It's an eternal world. Time is the world of man. Our world is full of time. That's why we are in 2022. We're going to 2023 and going to 2024 and, and go on and on and on. Why? Because we live in time. If you take time out of human existence, we can't even continue living again. Somebody, because when people see you, they ask you, how old are you? How can you tell how old you are if there's no time? Uh, who is older? Who is, who is even nicer? What is newer? What is older? Everything about our human life is based on time. Time is in the world of man. Eternity is in the world of God. Jesus Christ stepped out from the eternal and came into time. And that is important when we talk about incarnation. When eternity stepped into time. Eternity stepped into time. And uh, that is uh, part of the meaning of incarnation. I'll put on another phrase. And it says that when Jesus became incarnated, he was truly God and truly human, possessing two natures, which are not confused, changed, divided, or separated. This is so important. You may never appreciate it now, but for those of you who are serious Bible students, you need to pay attention to that verse. Those of you who are pastors, pay attention to that statement. Jesus Christ, when he became 
incarnated. He's truly God, truly human, possessing two natures, the God nature, the human nature. These two natures are never confused. They are never confused. They are never changed, never divided, never separated. That's what the incarnation teaches. And, and you just have to take that word and put it in your pocket somewhere. One day you'll find it very useful. So let's take a look again at the text we read. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. I'm going to break down the statements there a bit and I'm going to pick on three uh, big words there. The first one is God. Everybody say God. And who is God? God is the creator. He's the uncreated one who created all things. He created both the spiritual and the physical world, the material world. God is the uncreated one who created all things. When I was a child, one of the questions I used to ask, so who created God? Who created God? You know, and it's, it's been an old statement and people say, well, if you think, I was told, if you think about these things, you go mad. No, you won't go mad. Because, you know, the uncreated one means that if you go back and back and back and back and back and back and back, you always end with some being or some entity who existed without being created because everything must emanate from something that is. So, if you go back, 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 who created God, who created God, the one who created God, who created one, who created God, who created one, that you finally end up with an uncreated one. And that uncreated one is whom we call God. And he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the original, the first cause. Outside of him, there is nothing. But with him, there is everything. God, the uncreated one, who created all things. So that's what we said. He's the creator. Secondly, this God who is the creator, he's unseen. He's the unseen one. He's invisible. Invisible doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Invisible simply means you can't see. And of course, in our world, we know there are many things we don't see that are real. Until microscopes were invented, we didn't see bacteria and we didn't see viruses, but they existed. We didn't just have the tools to see them. In the same way, God exists, but you can't use physical tools to find him out. Just like we have gases, nitrogen, oxygen, and so on that you can't physically see. And you can't say, because I don't see the air, it doesn't exist. You say that to your own peril. Because if you shut your nose, you would know what you don't see controls you. <laughs> you don't see it, but if you cut yourself from it, you are gone. In the same way, we don't see God, but you separate yourself from him, you are dead. 
Not dead spirit physically, but dead spiritually. So God is the creator. He is the unseen one. The problem with God is because he is the first cause, he's the creator. And because he's unseen, it is difficult to appreciate him. It is difficult to, you can hear about him. You can hear things said about him, but you cannot have a physical picture of God. You know, people can tell you things about people. Oh, the person is kind. The person is generous. Oh, the, oh, you, or maybe somebody says, oh, I've seen a girl for you. Oh, she's beautiful. Oh, her eyes are like trinkets and, and her neck is like a pillar somewhere. You know, all those nice things. Now, all those are words. But the girl is unseen. The girl is unseen. You know her eyes are like jewels and trinkets and the neck is like a pillar. You don't know what kind of pillar it is. A big pillar, a tall pillar, a short pillar. What is it? And then one day you see the girl. You say, wow, I see. I know how pillaristic the neck is. I know how the eyes are. So this unseen God, you can have all kinds of imagination of him. But this unseen God decided... I want to show myself so that when you say he's good, you would know what it means. You say he's kind, he's loving, he's merciful. You can have a real human picture of him. Are you getting that? So the unseen God had to be seen. And that is what necessitated the incarnation. So Paul says, God manifested everybody say manifested 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 that word manifested means to be revealed to be revealed or to reveal something in the incarnation we say Christ made God known to us he revealed God to us the unseen God was seen the unseen God was seen. So when you say God is good, now we have a picture of God is good. We say God is powerful. We have a picture of it because this guy could stop the storm, could walk on water, could change matter, could change physical conditions. What was he doing? He was manifesting Making God known to us. Revealing God. Without the revelation of God, what we have of God is a theory of him. But in the incarnation, the theory was made practical. And now we can see the revelation of this unknown God. So manifested means revealed. It means also proclaimed. Proclaimed. Announced. He brought God's word to us, manifested to us. So, in the incarnation, we have God, the unseen one, the creator, manifesting himself, revealing himself, proclaiming his word, proclaiming himself to us. But that's not where Incarnation ends because a very important statement is in that confession that Paul talks about. God was manifested not in our minds. He was not manifested in our thoughts. 
he was not manifested in our spirit. Paul says he was manifested in the flesh. In the flesh. So this manifestation of God did not take place in the spirit. It took place in the flesh. Everybody say the flesh. What does it mean when he says that God manifested in the flesh? It means God became material. Material. The immaterial became material. Christ had a real human body. A body that could be touched. A body that was real. Material. The flesh also means that something that is physical. Something that can be touched and something that can be felt. That's the incarnation. The unseen God. The first cause. The source of all things. The uncreated one. Made himself known. He revealed. And in that revelation. He showed us in the flesh. Why did he have to do it in the flesh? Because we live in the flesh. And we live in time. So he has to come into time and come into a place where our senses can perceive this unseen God. We saw his mercy. So when Jesus is walking and a woman is caught in adultery and they present the person to Jesus and and they say, Lord, uh, what are you going to do about it? He doesn't say, that's no adultery. That's it, that's no sin. That's it, it doesn't matter. Okay, she's sin, so what? He speaks about our attitude. He says, if you don't have any sin, stone her. So, what does that reveal about God? God does not excuse our sin, but He doesn't want us also to be the judge of other people's sin. So, everybody drops their stone. Because memory is triggered. They may not have committed adultery. But they told a lie. They did something else. Or some of them have maybe committed a murder. Whatever it is they did. And then Jesus speaks. And he says to the woman. I don't condemn you too. So what is he saying? God does not condemn us when we sin. Prior to that, everybody felt, if you sin, God will hold a big stick and bang, 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 hit your head. says, neither do I condemn you. But then check what he says. He doesn't say, I don't condemn you. You are free to go. He says, go and sin no more. In other words, although God does not condemn sin, he doesn't approve of sin. How do we know that nature of God? In the incarnation, God manifested in the flesh and in the flesh he showed us in real human terms in time how God responds to the sin of humanity he told the parable of the prodigal son the parable of the lost coin the parable of the lost sheep because for us if I have 99 and one sheep is stubborn and goes away hey leave him alone oh He's just one. Let me take off the 99. But he says that's not God's heart. 
That is why when you tell God to kill somebody for you, you know, <laughs> let's say you are the 99. You say, God, you know, I am, I am faithful. But this one is bad. Kill him, Lord. He said, do, do, do you understand the nature of God? In the incarnation, Jesus is showing us God loves the 99, protects the 99, does not endanger the 99, but he doesn't leave the one. He doesn't. There are people you wish God will abandon, but he will abandon them whether you hate them or not. How do we know that? It is through the incarnation. It's through the incarnation that we see God in the flesh and how he acts and what he says and how those things God says practically manifest in a human context. All of that is possible because of the incarnation. God manifested in the flesh. And John chapter 1 verse 14 puts it very clearly. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. One of the things we instituted in our church is declaring our faith every month through the Christian creed. So that every first Sunday of every month we make a declaration of the Christian creed. People call it the Apostles' Creed. In a sense, it's the Apostles' Creed, but it's not for them. It's for all Christians. So we can say the Apostles are gone, so now we don't say it again. We are Christians. So the Apostles set out the fundamentals of the Christian faith and, and summarized it in what is called the Christian Creed. And it took a lot of processes for for the early church to arrive at the summary of the essentials of the Christian faith. We may not agree with every Christian on everything. All Christians don't agree on everything. Some few you should wear scarf, others few you shouldn't wear scarf. Some few if you paint your nails red, it is the devil and all of that. <laughs> you know, people believe all of that. But those are not essential. What identifies me as a Christian and others as a Christian is that there are things that are not negotiable. And that's in the Christian creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of Heaven and then Jesus Christ and so on and so forth. Now, in the Christian creed, there is an acknowledgement of the, of the incarnation. And I'll go through that very quickly. And, and this is what it says. I believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus Christ our Lord. At the center of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ our Lord. Not an idea, not a theory, not a behavior, but a person. Christianity is about a person. It's not even about a teaching. People say, well, as for me, I just follow the teachings of Jesus. If you don't accept the person, you can't follow the teaching. You have to know, accept who he is. Either he is who he is, or he is not who he said he is. If he is not who he said he is, you cannot follow his teaching. Then it means he's a liar. But Jesus said, I am God. I and the Father are one. If you see me, you've seen the Father. It's either he was hallucinated Jewish carpenter, 
or he was who he says he is. If you don't accept him, you don't accept his teaching. So Christianity is not about the teaching of Jesus Christ. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And the early Christians will say, Jesus is Lord. And when they say Jesus is Lord, they didn't mean Jesus is master in that sense. Because the old Hebrews had developed a word for God to replace the holy name of God. You know, in, in the Hebrew Bible, God's name, which he revealed to Israel, uh, they reduced it to four alphabets, yod Hey vav Hey, and, um, and sometimes people call Jehovah, and, uh, and some people call Yahweh. But most Jews will not pronounce that word. They will not say Yahweh. They will not say yod Hey vav Hey. So they had to invent another word, to put there. And the reason they did that is because God says, don't put the name of the Lord God in vain. Don't use the name of the Lord in vain. So they don't pronounce the, the name of God. It's too holy. When they're reading the Bible, when I'm reading my Hebrew Bible and I see yod heh vav I, I don't pronounce it. I'm just trying to follow the Hebrew tradition. And so they, they invented another word for, for uh, yod heh vav and that is Adonai. So when you read the Hebrew Bible, although it says uh, the four letters, the true Hebrew would say Adonai. Although it's not spelled Adonai. Adonai is what is translated as Lord. So to the Hebrew mind, Adonai, which you find in your normal King James Bible is Lord, capital L-O-R-D. It's different from the normal written Lord. Adonai is God. Adonai is God. So when the early Christians say Jesus is Adonai, they don't mean he's just a master. They are meaning he's the same one who appeared to Moses and said, I am who I am. They believe this man is God. It is at the center of Christianity. It's at the center of our faith. So we confess Jesus is Lord. He is Adonai. He is the eternal one who manifested in time. That is Christianity. You don't believe that, you're not a Christian. You may be going to church, but you're not Christian. That's the essential truth of Christianity. So, he says we confess that Jesus is our Lord. The second statement I want you to note. It says he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We must be careful not to trivialize or make mockery of this fact. While we may show how incredible it is for a, a woman to say, I am pregnant uh, by the Holy Spirit, we must not make fun of it because it is fundamental to our faith. And sometimes I hear people preach things and I cringe because it goes to undermine a sacred truth of Christianity. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. Mary conceived but this was an act of the Holy Spirit. And people say, have you seen a woman who was conceived by the Holy Spirit before? <laughs> if every woman could conceive by the Holy Spirit, then there is no Jesus. The reason why he is who he is, because in the history of the human race, that has never happened, will never happen. 
It's an impossibility in the human realm, but it is a possibility with God. And that's why it's the mystery of Christianity conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then finally he says, born of the Virgin Mary. That's a very powerful truth. Why? Because Jesus had to be born. That word manifested is not just an appearance, but he was born of the Virgin Mary. Born is the only legitimate way to come into this world. Any human being on earth who has not been born is an illegal entity. We'll call them extraterrestrial or whatever we call them. ETs or AIs. But born of the Virgin Mary. She was not only conceived but born. He has a legitimate entry. Why did God go to all that land to do that? Because the Christ is called the last Adam. The last Adam. It's a very powerful statement. Why is it important? Because there is a first Adam. The first Adam had no earthly father. Who born Adam? He had no earthly father. He was created. The last Adam also has no earthly father. He was brought into being by the Holy Spirit. So when the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. When we read the Bible, these things should interest us. Because it should take your mind back to something in Genesis chapter 1. From verse 1. The earth is without form. Darkness is upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God overshadowed the earth. The same spirit who overshadowed the earth and brought light and brought all life into being. In Genesis chapter 1. Is the same spirit overshadowing a woman and bringing all things, Christ, into being. If the Holy Spirit overshadowed the earth and brought light and brought vegetation. So that everything we see now come by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Then you can understand that same Holy Spirit upon a virgin can create or bring into being a new person. Jesus Christ. The incarnate one. God in the flesh. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in him. And in him we are made complete. That my friends is a story of Christmas. And that is why it was necessary for Christ to be born in the way he was born. Everybody say incarnation. Say I now understand the incarnation. Amen. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mansa Otebill, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensa Otebill. Email Otterville at centralgospel.com or call plus 233-302-688-000.